enough about me. Uh, we're walking through Letters to Leaders. This is a four-part series, so we're on number three. Uh, I know it's about time to send kids down to junior church, but we don't have junior church this morning, so uh, you're stuck listening to me, kids. I'm sorry. If you want a busy bag for your kid, if they're used to go downstairs and you want something for them to kind of fidget with, raise your hand, and Alistair or Drew can, can bring you on if, if, you, if you didn't have one. Um, but anyway, uh, we're going through this series right now, Letters to Leaders. Uh, what we talked about so far, just a quick recap, is we talked about authority as a whole, uh, how that's good. God ordained that. God made that for us, for our flourishing. And so we ought to seek to use our authority well in whatever context that is and also submit to the authority over us, knowing that God has placed it there for our good, right? I know it's a hard one for me to swallow too, but that is what the Bible says. And uh, believe it or not, it is good. Uh, the second thing we talked about was eldership as a whole, right? So uh, God gave the church two offices, uh, the first uh, of which spiritually is eldership. The second we're going to talk about today, which is deaconship. And then the last of these messages basically is going to be, okay, glad that you brought this all up, Pastor. Glad we talked about this. What are we supposed to do with that? How do you see us applying that as a congregation? Well, I'm glad you asked. You'll have to come back next Sunday to hear about that, okay? Uh, but also for today, if you would, let's join in prayer before we get into God's Word. Can we do that? Psalm 99.1 says that as we gather here today, God, we want to recognize you as supreme. Therefore, let us be reminded today not to be proud before you. For it is you that sits enthroned upon the cherubim above the heavens, and so our hearts melt before you. Father, we confess that we often think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We think we don't need help from others. We can manage our own way. However, you have designed us for fellowship for community, for one another. That we would experience as members of your body, of your church. Therefore, Father, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness in the design of the church body. To have overseers as well as deacons to help lead, to guide, and to care for this body of believers. As we look now at this office of deacon this morning, please help us to personally understand and apply the texts that we examine, as well as to aspire as a church to appoint the right men for these positions. May you be honored and glorified by our obedience to you in all things. God's people said, amen. Now, uh, ministry can be extremely rewarding, but it can also be fairly difficult. Uh, it's not meant to be a one-man job. So just for a minute, I want you to, to mentally kind of make a list as pastor or as elder, what are all the things that you think a pastor elder should be doing? Now, as you think through that, I'm sure some come to your mind right away. I know that I don't fulfill all of those duties perfectly. I, I don't know anyone who, who can. Strive to, uh, but it's not supposed to be a one-man job. It's supposed to be a team. We know that because we're created in God's image, right? So there's three in one, the, the Trinity. There's a body of believers collectively as the church. And so it would make sense, therefore, then to lead that church. God would develop and design for teams. 
So as we look at this office, uh, deacons is first described in Acts chapter 6, which we're going to get to that text in just a little bit. It's also first mentioned in Philippians 1.1. It says this in 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And so that's when that office is officially mentioned. It's described earlier throughout Scripture like I talk about. So the, the main idea of today's message is this. Deacons are to serve the church by caring for its practical needs and freeing up the elders to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. So this word deacon, diakonos, means servant. Now in scripture, we understand, I hope you understand, that in the Greek language there's, there's much more variety. So sometimes you'll see terms that could be translated as uh, servant or slave or other things like that. Some of those are diakonos, some of them are not. There's other words for slave or servant or things like that. We're going to talk about, and I'm going to share with you some texts that have uh, diakonos as servant in there so we can understand that. But not only serve, but also the, this idea of to assist, okay? So I like to think of deacons not, I mean, as servants, yes, they serve the body, but as they hold the office, I like to think of them officially as holding the office of assistant to the elders. And you'll see that in just a minute, I hope, as we look at these texts. Now, the office of deacon, like I talk about, they have some regulations for that office, and that's where I want to start with this. I want to start with the deacon's standards for these. So if you're a note taker, this is your first blank to fill in if you'd like to do that. So what are the standards of being a deacon that all churches should espouse to, that Allegan Bible Church is going to espouse to? And uh, with your help, uh, we're going to hold all of these men in these positions accountable, elder and deacon, right? So in 1 Timothy 3 that we talked about for overseers, right after overseers, it goes into the deaconship and it mentions this. And so it says, it starts with deacons likewise, and like what, you might say, well, you got to remember last week's message, right? Just like the elders, the deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. So these deacons are required to meet certain qualifications, and they should be, and that's right that they are. Uh, I stand behind my, uh, my statement last week that all of us, all of us should desire to meet these qualifications. These are good, God-honoring qualifications, whether man or woman. We should seek to be like this. Now, in this text, we see that deacons' wives also have to meet certain standards. So does that mean that the wives of elders don't have to meet those standards? Absolutely not. Remember, it keeps saying, likewise, likewise. So anything that applies to the overseer also applies to the deacon, and conversely, can be also said of the same thing. Especially if you think about this, now don't, now I'm going to say this for our understanding, but I want for you to understand that I'm not, I'm not lessening the office at all. But if you think, if you think of overseers as the, the top office of the church, and then deacons underneath that, how in the world would you ever think that, okay, well it says this of deacons, 
but the overseers don't have to do that. No, no, no. If anything, the bar is higher than for the other office as it should be, okay? So deacons are required to meet these qualifications. Deacons' wives also have qualifications. And the first of these qualifications, as if, if we kind of parse these down, really I think the first one is deacons must be dignified. It says that right in the text. But what does that mean? Well, he gives some things about this. He qualifies dignified, or I would qualify based on what he says here, dignified has these other things in it as not double-tongued, not a drunk, not greedy for dishonest gain. I think those are what characterize uh, dignity for these men. So what is double-tongued? It's saying one thing to a person and another to another. What I think of in my mind for this is the opposite of a politician. And I don't mean to be funny about that. I just mean we're familiar enough with politics to know that it's that smooth tongue, that smooth speech. You know, you ask them a question and they kind of, they answer it, but they don't really answer it. There's always kind of like, okay, but, but that's, you answered a question that I didn't ask and you kind of took me down a rabbit hole that you want to go down. But I, I just, this is a simple yes or no question. Can't you just give me a simple yes or no answer? Or, right, they'll, 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 they'll placate, in essence, and they'll say one thing to this group of people, uh, but they know that this group of people likes what they've said, and they know this group doesn't, so they'll, they'll say this to this people, and they'll change it slightly, and then they'll say something different enough to then placate this group of people, and that's what I think double-tongued is. Or, right, they say that they're going to do something, and then they never end up doing that thing. So, or duplicitous speech. This undermines credibility. Do you understand that? That's why they can't be this way. And you're going to understand why this matters as we look more at this position, I, I, I think. And so they have to say what they mean. They have to mean what they say. They have to say the same thing to the same group of people and have to be on the same page. Part of the reason is, is because not double-tongued deacons are, are oftentimes and ought to be the go-between the elders and the people. And so there is a real temptation for deacons to sometimes conceal or bend the truth if they know, I mean, you've ever heard the phrase, don't shoot the messenger, right? And there's a reason for that phrase. The messenger brings a message he knows that the people don't like, and so the people, they shoot the messenger, right? And so it can be a real temptation for deacons as the go-between between the congregation of the elders, especially as we're going to look at for the physical care of these different projects or different needs and stuff, for for them to kind of bend this or try to say, you know, yeah, I'd rather decide what that. No, just say what you mean and mean what you say. Ephesians 4.25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Not a drunk, he said, and uh, so I say. Uh, this is not a complete ban on drinking. Now, some of you have your own convictions. Some of you have your own testimony. Some of you have your own past and your own history or your own proclivities for those kind of things. And so for you, no alcohol and you're hard and fast, and that's good, and there's nothing wrong with that. Scripture says that, that if you have your own conviction on that, it ought to be. But what I'm telling you, what Scripture says is not a drunk. So does that mean if you see a deacon out somewhere... And he's ha- he has a beer or something like that that you should immediately judge him as unfit for this office? No. But also, if you see a deacon out somewhere frequently, that, that might be a conversation you'd want to have with them or with an elder or something like that, right? And so not a drunk. This is not a complete band, but alcoholism does hinder growth. And there is something as a functional alcoholic. And so I can't, from the pulpit, 
come up with some hard and fast rule of, okay, every deacon is going to be a, a teetotaler or you can't be a, a deacon. That's not scriptural. But there is wisdom here. And so we as a congregation, as the elders and overseers, as the deacons themselves, ought to be on watch for their own hearts in the way that they are perceived with the rest of the body, correct? Second Peter 2.19, for whatever, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved, or Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, right? So let's examine them, be tested first before they're installed to make sure there's not some kind of a secret drinking problem either. And then there's dishonest gain, greedy for dishonest gain, right? 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. It can be tempting to use their influence as an office holder to take advantage. Let, let, let me give you a for, for example. And, and this is not, I, I want to be very clear with the example I'm about to give. I am not about to give a real world example that I have experienced. Okay? So just want to clarify that but I want to give you a for instance, okay? Let's say uh, that, that there is a, a, uh, a couple who serves in, in junior church regularly, okay? And the husband happens to be one of the deacons. And the wife notices, man, Bob, it sure would be nice if the, uh, if the board would approve a little extra money for X project for junior church to do. And so now because of the influence, it's a real temptation for him to not look at that church-wide and try to make a decision church-wide, but rather make a very personal decision. Well, Betty says that we need this, and so therefore it must be the case. So I don't need to ask anybody else. I don't need to do any more research. I just need to take Betty's word for it, and I need to really press for that at the next board meeting that we would do that because Betty says so. And I believe that Bob and Betty could do that with not intending any kind of sin, but it's still a mismanaging of the office. Do you, do you see what I mean with that? And so not greedy for dishonest gain. Now, we think of that and we think automatically, oh, it's obvious sin. Well, not necessarily. It could just be mismanagement, right? But deacons are responsible for carrying out the financial decisions that the elders make and the board makes as a whole. And so that's why it's important that they're not greedy for dishonest gain. Uh, we see this throughout the New Testament that the uh, 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 Judas, you know, used to help himself to the purse because he was holding the money back. Or the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would charge extra money. Or the money changers within the temple, right? They'd do this kind of thing to, to other people uh, and prey on their religiosity, so to speak. Uh, deacons must hold the mystery of the faith is the second thing. Now, if you're a note taker and I've got your, if your line's too short, I'm right smaller or just right over on, on the thing, I, I'm sorry. But deacons must hold the mystery of the faith. A deacon must know the beliefs of the Christian faith, possess the faith, hold firmly to the faith, live life consistent with the mystery of the faith, which is the gospel and the greater doctrines as a whole, and they must be able to do this in a clear conscience. Again, this is the same idea for the office of the elder server. Above reproach, right? Meaning that nobody can come to them and say any kind of uh, open accusation that is credible about false uh, doctrine or uh, heretical or, you know, living inconsistently with Scripture that we have. Now, the only difference between the office of deacon and overseer 
in a real tangible way is that deacons are not required to teach. But they still have to hold the mystery of the faith. I would argue they still have to be able to defend the faith. In, in fact, uh, there, there's been a long time, I, I think, misconception of that, that, that even says, hey, for somebody to be an elder, they have to be able to deliver a 30-minute, right, three-point sermon in case the pastor is sick or died or kidnapped or anything else, right? Like, we need somebody to be able to do that. That's great, but that's not in the Bible. Now, elders should be able to teach generally, and it doesn't require that deacons need to be able to consistently teach, right? But I think deacons can teach. Would anybody say there's something wrong with a deacon leading a Bible study or, or a Sunday school or hosting a small group? And we would all say, no, of course not. That, that would be foolish. Well, then why is that different in this context? And, and so really, the, the, the way that I see this and the way that I think Scripture is doing this is because you have the overseers who are saying, no, 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 we are going to dedicate ourselves to the, to the Word and to prayer, right? I said that. That's what we're going to do. So therefore, the rest of the stuff and the care of the flock in other ways, we have to delegate that to somebody else. So the deacons are going to be the ones who are going to care for that. And so it's the splitting up of the responsibility, not the shirking of those duties. So they must hold this mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, even though they're not required to teach. I think they should still be able to teach if called upon. Now, also, it says, lastly, deacons must be tested. Now, this does not mean that for you to become a deacon here at Allegan Bible Church, that I have a written exam for you to fill out, although I do have a written exam for you to fill out, sort of, <laughs> sort of. And actually, I meant to print them off, so I'll, I will do this next, uh, next week for the last thing. Every year, you, if you've never been on the board, then you don't know this. And if you've been on the board in the past, w this has developed over time, where every year I, I have an annual kind of self-checkup that I'll give the deacons and the elders, that we will go through these texts, and we will, we will rate ourselves, we will... We will um, grade ourselves on how we're doing fulfilling these offices and these roles, and then we will check against one another where we will interview each other. And so if they're single, they're, you know, they don't have a wife to ask, but if they're married, then they, they go to their wives, and their wives help them also fill these out. And it's for the good of saying, is the ship pointed in the right direction? I mean, think of a sailboat, right? You can get out there on the open water, and if you never go back to the maps, you never go back to the compass, and you never even hold on to the tiller, you're just out there, you're letting the wind blow you, you can get off course quite quickly. So we should be tested regularly, but also then before they get into that office. It says that they should be blameless. Does this mean perfect? No, absolutely not. It means above reproach, right? One wife. Well, what does that mean? We talked about that last time. The husband of one wife. He should be faithful to that wife. Does that mean that if he's divorced, he can't be a deacon? I don't know. Form your own opinions based on Scripture and how you read that. I have my own opinions, and I don't want to jade yours by just force-feeding that to you. But rest assured, as a board, we discuss these things. Manage his household well. What does that look like? Well, it's going to be different depending on the household, right? I cannot ding... 
a family, so let's say somebody comes to the church and all their kids are all grown. They're 18 and older. That man is no longer at legally responsible for how an 18-year-old and above acts. Let me give you an example. There's a preacher, John Piper. I have every belief that that godly man sought to raise his children in a godly way. And I know for sure, and I don't know what's happened to him, but I know one of John Piper's sons is off the rails or was off the rails at one point. And John, being the godly man that he was, was going to step down out of ministry. And his elders of that church said, listen, he's at a, we understand your life and how you raised them. And the age that he's at now, you are no longer responsible for managing him. He's a grown man. So no, please don't step out of ministry, John. We want you here. We know God's calling you here. And he's responsible for himself. And so, but, but also, can that be said for a family that's got two, three, four little ones in the home? That's going to look very different. There is a level of accountability and responsibility there, right? But as somebody who is a very willful child, I also understand that there can be very willful children that are still raised in a good environment, and for whatever reason, they still got that fire in their belly. But they must be tested. They must manage their homes well. Deacons are required to be extended, uh, examined and approved by the church and its leaders. Deacons are office holders just like overseers and elders. Now, wives. This is not a a note here, but this is for, for y'all in the congregation, women of the congregation. If you're married and if you want your man to be a deacon or an elder, and you should, because of all the reasons we talked about before, here are some things that you need to think about for yourself too, right? Wives are re in this because oftentimes deacons and elders, primarily deacons though, given their office, they serve together. And it's good that they serve together, right? I mean, what if there's a single woman in the church who needs uh, a dishwasher installed? A deacon ought not go there by himself. And if there's not another deacon to come with him, bring your wife with you, right? And, and so, or bring your wife with you anyway, just so that they can have a relationship and do that as you're, as you're doing the labor and those kind of things. What? Titus 2. So if you're a woman in the church, I would, write, I would recommend writing down Titus 2, 3 through 5, where it talks about here, and I'm going to read it to you, but this is what it says. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So there's some things that the wives need to be too. He says in, in, in the text that we just read for, for, the, for the deacons, um, dignified, not slanders, meaning not gossips and not backbiting. Um, Sober-minded means able to think clearly and logically, faithful in all things. If you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. And so the standards that are for the serving deacon are the same in a lot of respects for the deacon's wife. I just want to pause here for a minute. Not only because I need a drink of water, but I'm just going to tell you something. I know in our society today, Barbie movies galore, woman power to the extreme, okay? Sister in Christ, I love you, and I want to equip you and lift you up and give you all of the responsibility that your role deserves and requires. But there are different roles and there are different responsibilities and that's how it is. 
I didn't write the book. I didn't design it. Your qualm's not with me. It's with God if you don't like it. And guess what? He's wiser than you, okay? And I love you enough to tell you. If you have more questions about it, I am 100% open to that discussion because I love you. Deacons, service is the next thing. So how do they serve? So we talked about the standards. That's kind of the benchmark. What are they supposed to do? Okay, it's a great question. It talks about that in Acts. So they're going to click for me in the back as I read through that Acts 6. Remember I told you that we were going to get there. We're here, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The distribution of what? Food and goods, the stuff that they needed, right? And so there was different widows. Some they felt were getting treated better than the others. So this was an issue. Favoritism, right? Guess what? There's never been a perfect church, not even the first one, okay? So welcome to the, to the continuation of the not perfect church. We're glad that you're here. And, and, so, and so here's what happens. Uh, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of, what does it say here? Just random, seven, seven warm bodies that are here. Pick them out and set them up. No, it gives a list of what the, seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So you go ahead, pick from yourselves seven that you think are good, submit them to us as leadership. We will also confirm that, and then we'll give them their duties. Sounds like overseer, deacon, assistant, responsibility, delegation, authority structures, doesn't it? But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, and Porcherus, and Nicanor, and Tim, Timon, and Parsimonus, and Nicholas, uh, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, so it was a public affirmation of the call to this position, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. How cool is that? Praise the Lord for that. And so the first thing is this. Deacons are to assist the elders. Overseers are always mentioned before the deacons in the texts. 1 Timothy 3, it's listed out there. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, it says to the overseers and the deacons. Overseers are to appoint the deacons. We see that in Acts 6, 3 through 4. Pick out from among yourselves, full of these things. We will appoint them to this duty, and we will devote ourselves to prayer. Uh, Timothy, uh, I'm sorry, Titus 1, 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then from the elders, they would appoint deacons. Overseers are to delegate work to the deacons, Acts 6, 2. We just read that. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. So the office of deacon is a leadership office in direct line with an overseer, with an elder. Which means that as a congregation, we ought to give them the respect that their office deserves. Deacons are to care for the flock. We saw that in the text, right? Now, I have a big section of Scripture 
that I don't have on the screen because I knew at this point it would just be too much. So if you're a note taker and you want to read it, I, I'm about to give it to you. Are you ready? It's Exodus 18, 13 through 24. And you're probably thinking, Pastor, what in the world does Exodus have to do with the New Testament church of overseers and deacons? Well, I'm glad you asked. Read your Bible. But because I know many of you want me to tie that loose end, it's going to drive you crazy, and you're not going to be able to focus on the sermon until I do that. I'm not looking at any one person. I'm just looking out. So if I caught eyes with you, I don't mean you. But that would be me. Here's what, here's what that text is talking about. Remember Moses? Well, he had to leave, lead all of Israel, and there was a lot. And do you remember Israel? They complained a lot, right? And so Moses' father-in-law was like, hey, bro, this is a lot for you. Why don't you appoint other people that these people can bring their complaints to, and then only the real big stuff you can deal with, and the rest of it, like you just lead all of them, and these guys can handle that. That's what it has to do with elders and deacons. Do you get that? So you should check me on this and be a Berean, but that's what Exodus 18, 13 through 24 talks about. And so these deacons are to care for the flock with domestic attendance. And what do I mean by that? They said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So there's nothing wrong with serving tables. That's a domestic attendance. If there is a family in the church who's going through a hard time and needs groceries or needs a car maintenance or needs a window fixed or shingles put on or whatever, it, the deacons are your first line of defense. In fact, the deacons should know those things before the elders do. Not only because you all should tell the deacons before you tell the elders, but the deacons should be so in and among the midst of the care of the flock that they ought to know that and then bring that up to the elders. Please don't hear me say, because I'm not saying this, I'm not saying don't tell me about your problems, tell somebody else. What I am telling you is, according to Scripture, there is a way for these things to get handled fastest. And he's designed this, God has. So not only domestic attendance, like feeding the hungry, fixing building, but also communication and delivery. That's the other thing that Moses was doing with these. He would, God would come down and talk to Moses. Moses would talk to these leaders of the community. Those leaders of the community would go out and then further that message out to the rest of the people. There's a buffer between overseers and outside organizations. If somebody calls and needs help to the church, they shouldn't be calling me. They should be calling the deacons. Buffer between the body and the eldership. I want to know about all the things that you guys need help with, but also, just like they said, it's not right for us to give up time studying the word and in prayer so that we can come and, and put in a washing machine or a dishwasher and stuff. And I've had people on the board in the past that have chastised me because, because here's the bottom line. I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. I like mowing the lawn. I like doing electrical work. Although I just electrocuted myself the other day. Because, true, because I'm not, I'm not good at this stuff always, but like I'm fearless in doing it. Thankfully, it was the one where it's like just the one hand that got it instead of like all the way through. But I think my son was there and I was like, woo! And he was like, oh, that's live, isn't it? And I was like, yep, it sure is. So I'm not saying that I don't want to hear about these things, but what I'm saying is, right, is that we should have more deacons than elders so we can get more things done in a timely manner. 
They have agency and instrumentality, logistically acting on behalf of the eldership. Deacons should have the authority and the ability to just make decisions and get them done without even going to the elders, especially when it's these kind of things. And so then lastly, as we talked about before, deacons need not teach, but you have to understand that just because they don't have to doesn't mean that they can't or never will. There may be a time that deacons are called on to teach, and that is a good thing. 1 Timothy 3.9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Okay, so let's get into your reward, brothers. Because like I, like I began this, I want you to want this. I want you to want the position of an overseer. I want you to want the position of a deacon. And so I want to tell you what you get out of it, because let's be honest, a lot of times, whether we want to admit it or not, we always ask the question, what's in it for me? Seems like there's an awful lot of hassle, an awful lot of headache, an awful lot of time commitment. What am I going to get out of it? Man, I'm glad you asked, because you have no idea how great this is. So what's the standing? 1 Timothy 3.13 says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So let me break this down for you. Firstly, then, deacons enjoy a great confidence in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? Brother, have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered if what you're doing for God is enough or if it even matters? I have to imagine that you, you must have you must have, or I'm weird. And think of all, and, 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 and here's the thing that, that saved me back, back in the day. Think of all the stuff you assume that I do as a pastor. And so if I am still in the camp of saying, I wonder if any of this matters, or if any of this is good enough, or if any of this is worthy enough, if I think that in the position that I'm in, I'm, I'm just guessing that it's probably normal, and you probably do too. Look at what the Bible says about deacons. It says those who serve well at deacons gain a good standing and a great confidence in Christ Jesus. Do you want to know that your life and your work for the Lord is not going unnoticed? Then be a deacon. See God work through you. James 2.18 says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. We know that a faith without works is dead. So be a deacon, and you will have great confidence before Christ Jesus. Secondly, deacons gain a good standing for themselves. What does that mean? Maybe you struggle with self-respect. Maybe you struggle with self-worth. Maybe you struggle with depression like I do. Be a deacon. Stop thinking about yourself so much and start thinking about other people. That's my number one problem. Why am I depressed? Because I'm thinking about myself too much. Stop thinking about you. Start thinking about others. This gives you a sense of purpose and fulfillment in serving Christ. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You get a free pass as a deacon because people come to you and ask you for good works. 
1 Timothy 5.25, so also good works are conspicuous. And even those that are, that are not cannot remain hidden. Do you know why? Because people talk. And so you'll gain a good standing for yourself in the community of your other fellow brothers and sisters. You guys have deacons and have had deacons in the past who I know that you honor and respect. And the reason you honor and respect them is because the deacons that you have and the deacons that you have had are good servants. You know they show up when it's needed. You know that they're not afraid to get their hands dirty. You know that if you call on them for something, that they will seek to do it. And so therefore, they have a good standing with you, and they should. That brings me very naturally to the next thing. Deacons should be given great respect from the congregation. Living as Christ commanded his disciples to live, they are fulfilling this. Deacons are. Leading as Christ would have them lead in serving one another. Deacons are fulfilling this. 1 Timothy 3.8, remember it says they should be dignified. That word in Greek is semnos or something like that. I don't, I understand Greek a bit, but I'm not Greek, so we'll say my pronunciation is right. Do you know? So semnos, which means worthy of respect. That's what dignified means, literally in a very wooden translation of the Greek. Romans 13.7 says, pay to all that which is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Somebody needs that verse, right? A revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So congregation, respect your deacons. When's the last time you invited a deacon over for a steak dinner? Shame on you. Just being honest. But brothers... Here's why you should want this even more. Not for the steak dinner. I know for some of you, you're like, sign me up. I didn't know that's all it took. Deacons will have a great reward from Christ Jesus. Do you know that? And I, I want to show you why. You are going to have such a great reward. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm a little jealous of deacons. And, and I'll tell you why. The Bible says not many of us should become teachers. Do you know why? Because we're going to be judged more strictly. It does not say that about deacons. So you guys get all the cream. But there is an eternal reward for feeding the sheep of Christ. Matthew 25, 34 through 40 here is going to be up on the screen. You can read along with me. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me food. Sounds like somebody waiting on tables, doesn't it? When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we... Uh, see you as a stranger, you and welcome you in, or naked and clothe you. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You see, serving the sheep is serving Christ. 
I told you last week about that story about if my bride was out there and she needed help and I knew that one of you just kind of drove by and didn't help, how that, I, I mean, I would forgive you and I would, uh, and I would love you and stuff, but I, I would not soon forget that probably. This is Christ's bride. So I'm jealous of deacons a little bit because y'all get all of the cream. He will not forget it. So in closing, I want to give you John's translation. And I want to be very clear that this is John's translation because I changed some words here. Now, it's fair to change them that way because of the Greek. But this is why you should want to be a deacon, brothers. Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority of them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your deacon, your servant. For whoever would be the first among you must be your slave. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to be a deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. If this doesn't convince you men to want to be a deacon, I got nothing else for you. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you for the good shepherd, the ultimate shepherd who cares so much for his sheep that he laid down his life. God, we ask that you would help this church to manage well, to steward well that which you have entrusted to us. That the men of this congregation would desire to pull their weight, to step up to the plate, to, to fulfill the roles that you've called them to. And we pray for the women of this congregation that they would be good and suitable helpers and sisters in Christ. God, we ask that your church would be glorified, that your name would be honored. We pray that through obedience to you, you would add to the number of this congregation and other churches like it. Lord, we know that our time on this earth is short, not only physically, but we, as we read the signs of the times, we see that it appears that you are drawing near. And Lord, our hearts cry, come, Lord Jesus, come. But in the meantime, Father, we ask that you would find us good and faithful and doing well upon your arrival. And so it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's, let's stand and sing.